0: I met with a guy earlier this week and he was sharing with me about all the difficulties that he faces at his job. And and it often comes at the hands of unbelievers, those that don't know Christ. And, And he faces persecution and he faces all kinds of hardship there. And it's really hard for him, he said, it's really hard for him to love them. And one of the things I was able to share is this. You have to remember and ask God to give you a different way of seeing these folks. We cannot expect those who are not believers to act like believers. And so when we say the world is an enemy that is against us, we're not talking about people that don't know Christ. We love people. Jesus loves people, and we're to love those that don't know Christ. What we're talking about is the world's value system. The other thing that we brought up is the flesh. That is our sinful nature that we are born with that is raging and battling within us and just like the law of gravity the scripture talks about the law of the sinful nature as the law of gravity is pulling you down the law of the sinful nature is always pulling you down your third enemy is satan he is our spiritual enemy and the world comes around you and brings influence in your life and often affects us Satan comes against you like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And by the way, next Sunday, we'll be talking about the armor of God. We'll be talking about the reality of the enemy uh, that we have in Satan. So I want to encourage you to be here next week for that. As we look at uh, how to deal with that and how to resist Satan and that he must flee from us. You need to know that. That's something every believer needs to know. And then the battle is this, is that the flesh is raging within you. So these three things are coming against you at all times, right? They're coming against you and you're battling with this flesh inside of you. And that's what we've really been focusing in on in Romans chapter 7. And we've been looking at Romans chapter 8. And when this battle is overcoming you, when you're losing the battle and you don't know how to live as a believer and you don't know the power that God has made available to you, then many Christians live a defeated Christian life. They live a life that has no joy and no purpose. And, and they live a life where the, the peace of God is not something that is consistent in their life. And so they have a circumstantial kind of faith. When things are good and things are up, they're okay. When things are down and that happens a lot because we live in a broken world, then they are down with that. Uh, we, we learned in Romans 7 that our biggest problem, our biggest problem is who? It's us. That we are our own worst enemy. We are our biggest problem. And in order to begin to break free from some of these things that are going on that keep us down, there has to be something that happens internally. What our flesh wants is our flesh wants immediate gratification. Our flesh wants what feels good to me right now. My flesh desires what is convenient. It desires not necessarily the right thing or the best thing, what even is necessarily good for me. A lot of things that you want to do are actually self-destructive behaviors, right? They may feel right at the time, but these self-destructive behaviors, when they are out of control within our lives, they really can ruin your life. When these things are out of control and these things that Paul talks about, these things that I don't want to do, but I end up doing, these things that I wish I could do, but I can't seem to carry them out, this testimony of Romans 7, he says, I just can't figure myself out. And he's frustrated. My best intentions aren't good enough. I I want to do the right thing. I don't. Uh, I go ahead and do the wrong thing. And then he essentially says, man, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep living this way? I'm trapped. And this is what we experience. We, we talked about some of the most common self-destructive behaviors. Any counselor would tell you that these are the things that will ruin your life. Choices that you make. Things that will ruin your life. These self-destructive behaviors that will absolutely wreck you if you don't get these things under control. We talked about Shame. A couple of weeks ago that you cannot be at peace and feel the shame for maybe things that have happened in your past. And you cannot feel joy and live with shame. You cannot, we talked secondly about uncontrolled thoughts. When our thought life is out of control and, and you have all this negativity and you're dwelling upon things that you shouldn't be dwelling upon. When your thought life is out of control, it can wreck your life. We talked about uncontrolled impulses. These are natural appetites that can become out of control. We talked about fear. If you're a person that's living in fear and you have anxiety and worry and you're struggling with that, that's a self-destructive behavior. We talked about hopelessness and what hopelessness leads to is it leads to discouragement and discouragement leads to depression. And some of you are battling some hopelessness in your life. And then we looked at bitterness and we talked about seventh. We talked about insecurity, carrying dr- grudges and unwillingness to forgive. And this bitterness in my life is not hurting anybody except yourself. It's an uncontrol. It's a, a, a weapon of self-destruction that can be used in my life. It destroys my life. Insecurity does the same thing because I feel like I want to impress people. I want to live for another audience other than the audience of God. And Paul says in this classic passage of Romans 7 and Romans 8, Paul says in Romans 7, this is why you do the things you do. And he talks about it and he says, who will rescue me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And we have been learning that it's not a program, it's not a pill, it's not a sermon that I give or Randy or Kyle gives. It's not, uh, you know, these certain things that will rescue me. We learned that, he says, who will rescue me? It's Jesus. And Romans 7 raises a lot of questions, and Romans 8 brings a lot of answers. And so what we've been looking at is, as we deal with shame, number one, I have to remind myself daily of what Jesus did for me. Can we turn the back screen? It helps me a little bit to be able to see uh, that. I remind myself daily what Jesus has done for me. And I want you to notice that I have to remind myself. Romans 8, just quickly through this, so now. Will you read this with me out loud? Let's say Romans 8, 1 together. Read it with me out loud. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. I have to remind myself of this on a regular basis because I find that shame and guilt begins to creep back into my life. That that is my natural tendency is towards this, this kind of guilty way of living. But he says no condemnation right now. That God doesn't judge me for the things that I've done wrong. If I have trusted Christ, why Does he not judge me? Because Jesus has taken my judgment. He's taken my my judgment that I had coming to me and he took it upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin. I've experienced the grace of God. And he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus. And so the question we asked a couple of weeks ago is, do I belong to Jesus? Let me ask you this morning. And and, and if the ones in the dark could help me out, I ask you to help me out. Do you belong to Jesus? Do you this morning? Only four of you. Do you belong to Jesus this morning? Okay, if you belong to Christ, what does that mean for you? It means there's no condemnation, right? No condemnation. And so this is how I begin to eradicate the guilt and the shame that I experience in my life. Here's the next thing we talked about is these uncontrolled thoughts. My thought life that's out of control, here's what I have to begin. The antidote is I have to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to change the way that I'm thinking. Verses 5 and 6 in Romans says, Those who are dominated, all right, those who are trapped, we could say, by the sinful nature, they think about what kinds of things? Sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, what do they do? They think about these things that please the Spirit. Look at verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind. Notice it says letting. Letting your sinful nature control your mind. What does it lead to? It leads to death. But letting the Spirit of God. Control your mind. What does it lead, lead to? And we talked about this. It leads to life and peace. If you're looking for something beyond a circumstantial faith, it the key is letting the Spirit of God take the reins of your mind and you begin to think the way that Christ thinks. You say, Lord, I surrender this to you. I love the image that Kyle Kyle's so great with images. And he came up with this image of trapped whenever we kind of said this is where we're going. And and the and the logo has a guy and you kind of see the, the, the trap there. And I I don't know if he intended this, although I probably I think he probably did. But you see a guy in that trap and his hands are thrown up and he's essentially saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I surrender. I surrender. I'm in this trap and I surrender. I have to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to change my way of thinking. This is a surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God in my lifestyle, in my thinking, my way of thinking the flesh brings a lack of peace and a death when that is dominating your mind. All right, here's what we're picking up. So if you're taking some notes, I encourage you to write this down. Is Here's the third thing. These uncontrolled impulses that I face that are out of control in my life, as a believer, the antidote that Paul says is, I have to realize that I have a new ability to say no. That I don't have to say yes to these things any longer in my life. They they do not have control over me any longer. The Lord has control in my life. These impulses that are out of control. These impulses, what are they? They're natural appetites. They're appetites that are out of control within our life. They're not necessarily the appetites in and of themselves are wrong. But when they are out of control, they wreck our lives. And this is where so many of us find ourselves. And we get to this place of saying, I just can't seem to overcome this. This Has has me down. I can't break free from this. Whatever it is. This habit is in your life. Or this thing that has you trapped. I can't say no. But as a believer. I want you to know that you can. And the scripture says that you can. as a believer. I have a new power in my life. That's greater than willpower. If willpower is all that I have. That's why I keep white knuckling it. And whatever I'm dealing with. That's why when January rolls around. I have to start over. That's why when Monday rolls around. I got to start over. Because my willpower never lasts. At some point. I'm susceptible to failure. Because I'm human. At some point. I cave. I give in. But what I discover. Is as a believer. If you are a believer. And you said you belong to Christ. I have a new power in my life. That's greater than willpower. And it may start out with some willpower and me kind of beginning, but there's new power. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, which by the way, Galatians is actually, it's kind of a, a, a book that's really more of an outline for the book of Romans. It, it follows Romans so closely. It's amazing. And Paul wrote both of these, but here's what he says in Galatians five sixteen. I want to ask you to read this with me out loud. Galatians 5, 6, 16. Say it with me out loud. We're smaller in number this morning in this group. So say it with me loud. Here's what he says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature, what craves. What your sinful nature. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and control your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature. Did you notice that it says this? It doesn't say that I won't have some of the same temptations. It doesn't say that I won't have some of the same compulsions. Some of the same influences, some of the same desires. I may still have some of the same kinds of desires I had before I became a Christian. But what it's saying now is that as I yield my life to the spirit of God and I live what's called the spirit filled life, the crucified life. Now, those compulsions do not have control over me anymore. And I have to actualize this on a daily basis in my life. I have to come uh, to this place of every day of saying this has no power over me. This has had power over me in, in the past. I have lived even as a believer, as someone who, who has had no power. But here is the thing: People have said to me, uh, "Well, why should I limit Why should I limit something that's a natural desire in my life? If it's natural, why shouldn't I just go ahead and do something? And I want to tell you that not everything natural is necessarily good for you. Not every natural decision is going to be the best thing for you. I had a guy this week that uh, I, was, I was parking up at Walmart. And uh, I turned my turn signal on. And I had the parking spot uh, scoped out. And when the turn signal was on, you know what that means. That spot's mine, right? Okay. And I was waiting and, and this guy whips in right in front of me. And then he kind of gives me this weaselly kind of smile like, uh, I got the spot, man. And naturally, I wanted to punch him in the face. I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> naturally, I would have ended up in jail that day. The natural thing is not always the best thing to do, right? And your sin nature desires some things that may come very natural to you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing for you. You have to control what your sin nature desires. Sometimes I have the natural desire to cuss people out on the freeway that cut me off. And I know I must need some counseling in driving. I realize that because I have anger problems that arise, okay? And yesterday, I was on my way to EVC Go Restore. I was going to do something for the Lord. I was worshiping. I'm not kidding. I, I got to be transparent with you. I had worship music on. And I was trying to be in the spirit of God. I was listening to Christian Stanfield. I love that, that stuff. I was just filling my mind and a semi cut me off and ran me off the road. And I found the nature crawling up inside of me saying, you know, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. The battle is on right now. So naturally, you could do these things that come natural to you. But you know what? Scripture says that when you yield to all the natural things that you want to do, do you know what scripture calls that? Immaturity immaturity, and scripture calls that foolishness. Proverbs talks about that kind of person that is impulsive and yields to the impulsive things. The scripture calls that person a fool. This is what this person is like. Maturity is when you do the right thing and you don't even feel like doing the right thing. Spiritual maturity is pressing through whenever you don't feel like doing the right thing. And yet you go ahead and as a discipline, you open God's word and fill your life with the word of God. There are a lot of mornings I don't feel like doing that. There are a lot of mornings that I I, I just don't feel like or I'm not feeling it. And, 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 and just being honest, there are some mornings that I, I end up caving into the sin nature. But I'm just saying this, that... All these things, when we say that I just, I just don't, you know, these natural things, I'm just, it's natural. I'm going to go ahead and do these things. We have to understand that God still gives us the ability to make choices and choices that need to be good. Because not everything natural is going to be good for you. This is the good news of Romans chapter 8 right here. This is the gospel message. You've got to realize, and I have to realize, that I have a new power and a new ability to say no to some of these things. To not respond in this way. Look at verse 9 with me. This is so powerful. Back in Romans 8, he says this. But you, now who is he talking to? Believers. You are not controlled anymore by your sinful nature. Whereas you said, I can't help it. I just, I can't help it. I'm going to do these things. This is just the way that I am. You are not controlled by your sin nature. This is a gospel message right here. You are controlled by the spirit. If you have the spirit of God living in you, do you belong to Christ? Amen. Do you belong to Christ? The spirit of God dwells within you. And remember, he says that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them, Do not belong to him at all. So when you got Jesus, you got all of God. When you got Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit. And when you got the Holy Spirit, you got the Father. It's not piecemeal there. When you receive Christ, you receive the Spirit of God. And where does he live? He lives within us. The question is, is you got all of God when you trusted Christ. But does God have all of you? Have you yielded yourself to him? Have you yielded your mind to him? Have you said, Lord, take control of my life, take control of my thoughts? And when he has more of you, you have more of his power. But when you take control in the reins of your life, that's when you're going to find your life is most out of control. We're just not good at running our lives. Paul said, I have the Holy Spirit now, so I have a new ability to say no. Look at verse 10. And Christ, where does he live? And Christ, as a believer, where does he live? Within you, the believer. You said I belong to Christ. Jesus lives inside of you. He dwells within you. So even though your body... This physical body will die because of sin. The curse of sin, our, our body will die. Our body will get sick because of sin. The Spirit, though, gives you life because you have been made right with God. He's declared that you're right with Him. When you place your faith in Christ, you receive the righteousness of Jesus. Now look at verse 11. The Spirit of God... The same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Where does he live? He lives in you lives in you as a believer. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and what is that talking about? That's Easter, right? We don't celebrate just in the spring. We celebrate an Easter every single day. This is an Easter, a resurrection experience, a resurrection power that is within me. It's more than willpower. It's a new power. It's, it's resurrection power. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit, living within you last week my brother's in the back eric's in the back and we got to baptize eric we baptized him last week and we put him under the water and we would put him under we said just as you have been buried with jesus in death now you've been raised with jesus a brand new life you have the spirit of god that lives inside of you now and you're a brand new person This is what this is all about right here, is that for many of us as believers, I think that we forget that the spirit of God lives inside of us. You have a new power. You got all of God. And he goes on and he says this, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, verse 12, he says, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. And it's urging you to do wrong, isn't it? It is combating against you. It's coming against you. You have, though, as a believer, Jesus has set you free from the power of sin in your life. He set you free from this. You have no obligation any longer to do what your sin nature is going to continue to urge you to do. Now I've got this new power. I don't have this obligation anymore. People have come to me before we've had people right here within our own congregation because we're filled with filled with broken people and brokenness uh, within our church. And I've had people that have said they've looked they've sat in my office. They've looked right at me and they've said, I've had an affair or I've committed adultery and I couldn't help myself. And I said, where are you a believer? I I am a believer, but it's like I just couldn't. I felt compelled. The temptation was too strong and, and listen, do you realize this? That one out of control compulsion can ruin, absolutely ruin your life. I mean, this is a big deal right here. One bad decision, one compromise, one yielding to something like this within your life. One bad decision can absolutely rock your life and can ruin your life. And the scripture calls this foolishness, but you have a new power. You do have the ability to say no. You have the ability as a believer, if you belong to Christ, Christ dwells within you. You have a new power that lives within you that you have to realize and actualize every single day. Number four, another antidote to this self-destructive behavior is I must turn to God, turn my thoughts to God whenever I'm feeling fearful, whenever I'm afraid. Do you remember this is a big deal that is a self-destructive behavior that people feel afraid they're afraid of what the future holds. They're afraid of what's going on this week. We feel anxious. We are a, a society that that is dominated, that is trapped by anxiety. And that's why uh, the, the medications for anxiety are, are just unbelievable how much is being consumed. Because this is where many of us live is with this kind of panic and with this kind of fear And Paul's going to address this. He's going to say that the Spirit of God sets me free from this attitude of fear. Verse fifteen of Romans eight, he says, "So you have not received a spirit." Will you go to the next scripture there? You have not received a spirit that makes you. Now look at what the word is. It a spirit that doesn't make you what? Fearful slaves. You're no longer fearful slaves. Instead, he says, you received God's spirit when he did what he adopted you as his own children. In other words, your identity now is this, is that you are in Christ Jesus. Your identity is this, is that you are a child of God. You're not a slave to sin anymore. Now, this is the actual identity as a believer that you possess is this, is that you are a child of the king. You are a co-heir with Christ. And now we call him, Scripture says, Abba, Father. Verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. This word Abba, this word Abba, here's what this literally means. It's, it's not the Swedish rock group, okay, that came up with Dancing Queen. That's not what it is. Some of you are too young to know what that is. But but this word Abba, what it actually means is daddy. It means papa, It's the most basic, intimate form of father. My son is sitting up here on the front row. And Luke, now you may call your dad father, okay? Luke doesn't call me father, okay? He doesn't call me that. Trinity doesn't call me father. If you do that, that's okay, all right? But here's the deal. You know what Luke calls me? Daddy. And it's this personal relationship that we have. Um, it's this the, this personal kind of relationship. My dad was in the first service this morning and, and I said this, I don't call my dad father. Okay. Or anything like I call my dad, dad or daddy. There's this intimate relationship that's going on. And this is what is being said here is that the spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. Now I call him Abba father. So who is your daddy? It's God. He is our father. He is our dad. And, and now I've told you before, I was a kid with a vivid imagination. My thoughts would be uncontrolled. They would get away from me. And when I was a kid, we watched the movie Jaws and my thoughts just ran rampant in my life. I was fearful to sit on the toilet for a while, to take a bath, and to drink out of, the, uh, out of a water fountain even. I mean, I was just afraid of water. I had this irrational fear in my life. I know that I also need some counseling for that, okay? But this is what was going on. Now, now here's the deal. My daughter, Trinity, she's younger, um, and she has the same kind of irrational fear that I had as a kid. Trinity got this characteristic in her life and some of the stuff that she comes up with we're just like uh, where did that come from Uh, do you really believe that way and so a couple of years ago we went to the fort worth zoo and when we were at the zoo we went home and later that night trinity loved it while we were there but later that night trinity was terrified and we were like what's wrong honey and trinity said dad i'm afraid that the the bears are going to come to our house they're gonna they're gonna find our house in Saginaw, now Hope. Hope is the more rational parent, okay, and and she's the more rational one. And Hope said to Trinity, and she tried to rationalize with this this little girl um, who has the same kind of imagination that I have. And she said, "Honey, let's just think about this, okay? If by some miracle the bears at the Fort Worth Zoo were actually able to escape." And they did, and they were going to make their way through downtown Fort Worth because that's where the way they'd have to come. And then they've got to go through the stockyards and all the people that are there and all the people that are out and the people that will see them and the people that would take care of that situation. If they actually make it to Saginaw, the Bears make it to Saginaw, what are the chances that they're actually going to find you At our house on Woodcrest. Of all the thousands of homes, what makes you think they're coming to our house? And so Hope's trying to rationalize with this irrational fear and this irrational behavior. And I I just said to Trinity, I said, here's the deal, Trinity. They might get out, okay? If they do. If they do, Trinity, here's what you can bank on. Daddy's got this. All right? Daddy's got it. I'm your protector. I'm your I'm the one who's protects our home. Daddy's got this. But you know what? You got to trust Daddy. You got to trust You got to trust that dad. And so many of us we live with and 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 that and that's an illustration But we live with fear that honestly, when we look at it and we look at it, a comparison of of what could happen and and, and, you know, and who God is when, uh, you know, here's the deal. You may have some fears and they may be legitimate, but they're likely in many cases irrational in the comparison of who God is. What God is telling you is that when you are afraid, when you are anxious, that you have to stop focusing on your fear and turn your focus upon your father. And this is exactly what Paul is saying at this point. He's saying this, that this antidote to fear is that when I'm feeling anxious and when I'm feeling out of control and I'm feeling that these things in my life and they are making me feel as if I am a slave to this fear, this fearful slave, you have to remind yourself of who you really are in Christ, that you are a child of the king that I am a, a son uh, and that you if you are a woman you are a daughter of God. I'm a child of God and whenever whenever I begin to think of this that the father uh, and and the creator of the universe that my father is God. I'm a child of this one who is all knowing and, and all powerful and 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 omnipresent in all of these things and what he tells me is this is Bart I will take care of you. But you got to put your faith in me and your fears sometimes they're out of control but you've got to put your faith in me. And so the question this morning is what are you most afraid of? What is it? What fear has been driving you and many studies will say that many people are are afraid of speaking in front of others and that's the most, you know, the the biggest fear in your life and And here's the deal with something that I've discovered as a pastor for for over 22 years now, being in ministry. What I have discovered the number one fear that most people really have in their life is this fear of absolutely being out of control. That I can't control everything that's going on around me. And that manifests itself out in a number of different ways. Do you know what we learned in the second service this morning? We're not in control. (laughs) The power went out, and we it was absolutely pitch black in here we had no power whatsoever, no electrical power. we learned something and we were reminded of something very quickly is that we're not in control of that kind of stuff and there are many things within your life that you are not in control of and you may think you're in control, but We are not in control. Another thing that we have discovered is this, and that oftentimes we're fearful of actually yielding our lives to the Holy Spirit. We think the more self, you know, the more I yield myself to the Spirit of God, then the you know, then, then the out of, more out of control I'm gonna be, you know. So people would be like, I don't, we have this misunderstanding of what being filled with the Spirit means. Filled with the Spirit, we think, if that, if I'm gonna be filled with the Spirit, I've seen stuff on TV. Does that mean I'm gonna to have to stop saying Jesus? And if I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm gonna to have to say Jesus, you know, that I've gotta talk that way, or that I've gotta fall over, you know, and do all, what does that mean? I'm gonna be out of control. But actually, it's the exact opposite. The more of your life that you yield to the Holy Spirit, do you know this? The more self-control you're actually going to have. Because it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. And God says He's not given us a spirit of fear. So if you're afraid, you need to know that's not of God. Another thing we learn, the fifth thing we learn from Romans 8 is, It's the antidote to hopelessness that so many people feel. And I had some, some guys share with me this morning in between services. They said, I really feel hopeless about this situation. I feel hopeless about some stuff, some circumstances that are going on in my life. And many of you, you're struggling with job situations or marriage problems or financial problems. And hopelessness can wreck your life, even as a believer. What Paul says I have to learn to do is I have to begin to focus on the long term and not on the short term. That's the fifth thing right there. I focus on the long term and not on just short term things. And there was a study that was done at Harvard and it it was it was not a Christian study. But what they found in this study is that the more long term thinking, the people with more of a long term way of thinking about things the more successful those kinds of people were. If you're a person that all you think about is the short term and the here and the now, then you're going to find that you're going to experience failure more in your life. You're going to experience hopelessness more in your life. People that are only thinking about today at this point and not having this kind of big picture mentality, then you're going to you're going to be. Uh, you're going to experience more failure. People who have a a long-term way of thinking experience more success in their lives. And again, this wasn't necessarily a a Christian study. This is just folks that are recognizing that you need to have a big picture. You need to think in terms of big picture. And this is great for those of us who are believers, because when we think in terms of long-term, it's not just 30, 40, or 50 years. We're thinking now with an eternal perspective. We think with this mindset of eternity and not just not just what's going on within these this time that we're experiencing right now. Society teaches us to think short term. Romans seven or eight seventeen says, and since we are his children, the word of God says, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Now, this is where I really want you to see this and focus on this because Paul doesn't water this down. We don't water this down here Uh, and churches that that teach opposite of this are teaching the the, the contrary, uh, contrary to what Scripture says. Here is the reality of this world that we live in. But if we are, Scripture says, if we are to share his glory. We must also share in, in what his what? Suffering. What what I said in in the last two services, and I hope that you will recognize this today and you know this is true, is that, folks, we are going to suffer in this world. You are going to go through some really difficult stuff, as you know. You are going to face hardship in your life. And he says, we must also, if we're going to share in his glory long term, We have to also share in some suffering. And when is the suffering occurring? It occurs right now. And I had grown men that were talking to me after the second service that were both in tears saying, I'm in a really hard spot right now. And as you talked about this right here, this is what has brought me some measure of hope today. Because it doesn't look like things right now are going to get any better. And it's pretty tough with what I'm facing. But look at verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us when? Later. Later on. It's not always easy living for Jesus, is it? It's not always easy doing the right thing, making the right choice, the moral decision. But the benefit long term is going to far outlast the short term, either pleasure or the short term pain that you may be dealing with. It's the same thing with your physical health, right? If you're going to be fit, then you're going to have to put up with some short term pain. If you're going to be a person that's healthy, there's short term pain exercise for most of us. Is painful. It's painful. To go ahead and press through some of these things. And to do some of these things. And yesterday I decided to go ahead and run yesterday. Even though it was raining. And I ran in the rain. And and I'm telling you it was painful. It was painful to go ahead and do that. but, But I'm trying to think long term. I'm trying to press through some of the short-term pain. Um, uh, Listen, I've discovered this, that lack of bacon in my life is painful, okay? It's a painful experience. But I have to begin to think long-term. One slice of pizza instead of four or five is a painful decision for me. Long-term thinking, though, leads to success. This morning, what I pray is for those of you who and I I just want to ask this this morning and I've asked in every service I couldn't see people raise their hands in the last service because it was dark but but let's just let me just ask you this this morning okay as we're just trying to be real and trying to just uh, you know see what's going on within our congregation how many of you would say honestly right now I'm going through something where I'm suffering some and there is some difficulty I'm facing in my life there is some hurt there's hardship I'm experiencing right now how many of you would say Uh, Pastor Bart, that's me this morning. Would you lift your hand up and say, that's me. And I want you to look around and you can see that more than half of the congregation has raised their hands. And it was that way in every service. The suffering you are experiencing right now. Here's what I want you to take from this. That can lead to hopelessness with an improper perspective. But what I've been praying for and what I prayed and I believe and this all happened in some gentlemen, even after church today, those that talk to me. Well, here's what I want you to know is that season of suffering that you are in is just that it is a season. And seasons change and seasons come and seasons go. And I want you to receive this today. We're not minimizing the pain that you're experiencing right now. It's legit. It's you're dealing with it, but it. Is going to pass. It will pass. What you are facing, as Paul says, in the now, you will share in his suffering. And that's in the now right here. But he goes on and he teaches this, that as a small window to the eternity that I look at in my life as a believer that I'm going to experience next part of the scripture 6 it teaches this this antidote to these self destructive behaviors is i have to remind myself i have to remind myself regularly that god is good that he's good in all things even when i don't understand and i can't put it all together that god is good and not only is god good he's also in control Where I'm out of control, He is good. He's in control. control. Romans 8 teaches this. We don't have time to go into verses 19 through 25. I urge you to check it out on your own. But in those verses, what Paul talks about is a description of how sin and the curse of sin has damaged the entire world. And the world that we're in is broken. And there is suffering. And bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And the the environment is suffering. It's broken. It's messed up. That's why there are droughts and there are hurricanes and there are floods. And there is brokenness in the world. The world is cursed by the curse of sin. Paul talks about it in verses 19. And the world is groaning Verse 20, he says, against its will. He says in verse 20, all creation. He says this, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Why did the curse come? It came because of the short term way of thinking that Adam and Eve had about this forbidden fruit. And sin came and with sin came the curse. But with eager hope, verse 21, the creation all of creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children. Who's that? That's us. In glorious freedom from death and from decay. You see, even creation itself is trapped because of sin. And Christ has come to even redeem the creation in which we live. And so we groan in pain because relationships are broken. Because people are broken. And we are broken. We are a church filled with brokenness. And so we groan in pain. And and then what begins to happen is whenever we groan in pain and we experience what is unfair, we can very easily become bitter people. And that is a self-destructive behavior. And what Paul is saying is that whenever bitterness is something that's reigning in my life, and what happens is people get bitter Towards their life, their lot in life, they become bitter towards God. Uh, It's easy to become bitter towards maybe other people. And because of the brokenness and jealousy and envy that comes into relationships. And we become bitter people because life is unfair. You see, pain and suffering is going to happen in your life. And that's not that's not optional. But what we discover is that the misery is optional. And you can choose to look at things in a different perspective. Suffering in your life is not optional, but you're going to have that. But being a miserable person, that's a choice. that You and I have to make. And so I have to remind myself every single day that even though I may be suffering, God is still good and God is still in control. I keep bringing this up because this has been such a big thing in my family's life. But earlier this year, it was really hard to trust that God was good and God was in control as, as our family suffered and as our my immediate family watched our other family suffer and we still watched them battle with the loss of loved one. And it was at a, a point where I'm having to say, and I know this and I've talked with Linda about this, and Linda, I've heard her say Things are difficult, things are hard, and there is suffering that is there. But I've heard her say this, and I've had to choose to believe this. God is still good. And even when things have not felt like they are in control, God is in control. Here's what what it says, even the Holy Spirit. I've not even at certain points known how to pray. There have been certain times whenever uh, some of you have experienced loss of loved ones within your own family. Uh, We've had terrible tragedies that have taken place. And I've gone and I've gone to visit. And I have sat there and I've thought, God, I don't even know how to pray right now. I don't even know what to say. Here's what the word of God says Did you know that the Holy Spirit is praying for you right now? Did you know those of you that lifted your hands and you said, I am suffering right now. Did you know the Holy Spirit's praying for you? You may not even know what to say, but he's praying for you. With his groanings for you, it says in verse 26, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed even in words. Did you know that that the Holy Spirit's praying for you as you suffer? And that He's he's lifting you up even right now. This scripture shows us that God is using everything in my life for good. It doesn't say everything is good, but He's using it. Look at verse 28. And we know. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Earlier this year, as as our family was put to test in this, I I had to say, I'm saying, I'm saying, God, I don't know what you're doing in this. I don't see how you're going to use this. God, I don't understand at this point. I have to in my faith say, God, but I still have to know this. You are good. And you are the kind of God that can use even a tragic situation for good. And God also wants me to experience success in my life. He wants me to succeed. Verse 31 says this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? All that we've been talking about up to this point If God is for us, let's all say it out loud. If God is for us, what does it say? Who can ever be against us? What circumstance can ever be against me? If God, Abba, Father, my daddy, if he loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me, don't I think that he loves me enough to help me with my suffering and my debt or my health Or my problem, my relational problem. Don't I think that he loves me? Look at verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? You know what that shows me? It shows me this, that God will give me exactly what I need in my time of need. God is for me. He's not against me. God wants me to succeed. He gives me what I need. Not always what I want, but what I need The final thing that we know is a self-destructive behavior that has so many people trapped is this fear that Pastor Randy talked about last week. It's insecurity. And he went in depth about this last week, so I won't belabor it. But what that is, is the fact that when you feel insecure and you live as an insecure person, essentially what your fear is, is your fear of rejection. And I know this is big for people, this fear of rejection. And some of you, you're dealing with rejection. Maybe it's a rejection of a parent. It could be a rejection of a friend. It could be a rejection of a spouse that some of you have experienced in this fear of rejection. So we live with this insecurity and we do things to try to get people to accept us. And we're we're on this treadmill of trying to perform so others will like us and all of these different things. But here is what I have to remind myself whenever I am feeling insecure is this is that I have to trust that God, my father, will never reject me. And will never stop loving me. Even when I foul up. Even when I mess up. He will never stop. And look at what scripture says in 38. And this is it. And I am convinced. That nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death. Nor life. Neither angels. Nor demons. And we'll look at that more in depth next week. Neither our fears for today. Nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Not even when you mess up are you separated from the love of God if you're in Christ. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be ever able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, aren't you thankful for Romans chapter 8? I mean, it is such truth. I may lose a lot of things in my life and I may suffer and I may experience loss in my life. But do you know what this says right here? Something that I will never lose is the love of God and my salvation that I have in him. I'm secure in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you. You're in Christ You're in the hands of your Father. He is your protector. No matter what you do, He will never reject you. You are secure. And so we live for an audience of one. We don't live for the audience of others. I want to ask you to pray with me this morning. Many of you have been stuck in Romans 7. And where you've been stuck is, what a miserable person I am. I'm trapped I'm stuck. Romans 8 says that you are no longer trapped. That Jesus has set you free. And this morning, I want to just lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, I thank you that you, Lord, can take even the difficulties and the suffering in my life. And Lord, you are the one that can work these things all for good. Lord, you didn't say they were good. You said the world we live in is broken. But you said, Lord, because of your character, you can work them for good in my life. Lord, your word has declared that you are for me, not against me. And I thank you for that. Most of all, Lord, I thank you that I'm secure in you. And that I'll never experience rejection from you. The world may turn on me, God, but you will never stop loving me. You will never reject me. And I pray that every person here this morning, Lord, would experience, Lord, that kind of love from you. That your salvation that you have offered to us by grace is secure, Lord, because of your grace, because of Jesus. Father, we thank you for Romans 8. We thank you for this truth. Your word, Lord, that is truth in our lives. Lord, may we as believers live a victorious Christian life as you have described in this passage. And it's all based upon who we are in you and what you've done. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen.